Well, Thanksgiving is over, and I'm sure many of you, like myself, have stuffed yourself pretty good. And as Jay Leno once said, you can tell that you ate too much for Thanksgiving when you have to let your bathrobe out. <laughs> yeah, how many of us had to let our bathrobe out a couple days ago? But now that Thanksgiving has given way on, to the onslaught of the Christmas season, you know, I saw a good quote going around social media that said this, Black Friday, because only in America people trample um, each other for sales exactly one day after being thankful for what they already have. Yep, <laughs> only America. I mean, let's be honest, it's the American dream, isn't it? It's all about what we want, and this American dream began with the pilgrims that had around 100 people or so on the ship called the Mayflower. They were traveling for a new land, seeking religious freedom and a new opportunity in life. And then landing on the shores of Cape Cod, the dream began. Originally, this dream was a freedom. It was a dream of opportunity. It was here that the birth of what we know as the American dream took place and began. But somewhere along the course of history, the dream led to a fierce battle of position. It's become a constant war to get ahead. Rather than originally being defined by what we can achieve together, we became a people more consumed with what we achieve or can achieve as individuals. Then this became our story being defined by the positions that we hold and the things that we achieve. It's all about us. And that's exactly what we see in our story today. Our nameless difference maker was defined by his position. Look at the beginning of this story in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. It's written, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion ser servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Do you see this? Our nameless difference maker for today was a man that was only recognized by his position. He was a centurion. In other words, he was a Roman officer. This is a highly valued position. It's a role where they would have commanded around 100 soldiers. They were men who had command. They were steady in action, and they were reliable. You could trust in them. They were someone worth making a movie about. And centurions were men of power. They were men of influence. They were men of significance. Yet this man in this story was only defined by his position. We don't know his name. We don't know his hobbies. We don't know his passions or his talents or his family situation. We don't know anything about him except for the fact that he was a centurion, except for the fact that he was a Roman officer. And many of us struggle with that too. We go through life only being defined by the roles that we have. I'm Bill, I'm a pastor, and must, that's what I tend to be known as. There's Jim, the architect, or you could go on and on and on about people that we don't know who they are or even their names, we just know their roles. And sometimes we struggle through life just like that, don't we? That we're only viewed by the roles that we have. I mean, that's our biggest struggle in life. 
Honestly, jot this down in your notes. In life, we are so often identified by our position. We're identified by our position. Just think about the resumes that you sometimes write, how we over-exaggerate who we are. Why? Because of the value of the position. On hrmorning.com, on that website, I found some very comical things that people literally put on their resumes that you should never put on your resume. Just telling you right now from an HR department. Here are some funny things I found that people literally put on. Number one, one person wrote, none of my references really like me, so please don't believe what they say. (laughs) It's not going to work out. Number two, under skills, this person wrote, I can hold 17 eggs in one hand. I'm I'm putting them on the fast track for a job. Another person, um, under reasons for applying with us, this person wrote, my parents are rich, and I thought I could live for free off of them for a few more years. Turns out I was wrong. Now I need to get a job and move out. I'm lazy, though. (laughs) Not going to work out. This person, under the question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? If, if yes, please answer. And this person wrote, yes, arson, but he deserved it. We can discuss it in the interview. <laughs> yeah. A pizza delivery guy really thought of his status pretty highly, and he wrote this about himself. He wrote that he was an Italian cuisine logistics engineer. There you go. That's going to get you ahead in life. And this other person, they were a spell and be winner and kind of listed that as their accomplishments. But the ironic part in the objective part of their resume, they started by writing this sentence that said, to obtain a challenging position. The problem was the spell and be winner spelled, misspelled every word. Uh, yeah, it's not going to work out. But seriously, many times we find ourselves attempting to over impress with our resume. Don't we? Don't we? Why? Because we want to prove our worth through our positions. And while that might be worthwhile in trying to get a job, we often take that into our personal life and we try to prove our worth by the positions we hold or by the status of our bank account or whatever it might be. And then before you know it, we're only known by the roles that we have. One of my favorite football movies is a movie called Invincible. It's a story about Vince Papali. And this story was about this man who was from Philly whose dream came true at the age of 30 when he went to an open tryout for the Philadelphia Eagles and he made the team. And in the movie, he carried around a note from his ex-wife that read this. You'll never go anywhere. You'll never make any money. And you'll never make a name for yourself. Sadly, I think it's safe to assume that there's many of us who walk around life on a daily basis with a negative mindset just like that, that will never be good enough, that will never add up to anything, that will never be worth anything, and we beat ourselves down. I'm going to circle around to that in a little while, but on the flip side in that movie, we also see the current NFL players these guys carried an arrogance of being better than Papali. They carried an arrogance that they deserved to be there and he did not. 
And many times, we too find ourselves with that same attitude, consumed with I am better than everybody else mindset. And when that happens, when those attitudes infect your heart, it stonewalls your faith. And it halts you from moving forward into the reality of who Jesus is and, he want, and what he wants to be in your life and through your life. You see, we tend to allow our success, we tend to allow our earnings or our accomplishments to just go to our heads and then which negatively affects our faith and then our faith just gets blocked by our own attitudes. We'll try to make other reasons for it, but the reality is our faith gets blocked by our own attitudes and there's two attitudes that really stonewall our faith that I wanna talk about in just, for just a moment. The first one is arrogance is arrogance. The dictionary definition of arrogance is an insulting way of thinking or behaving that comes from believing that you are better, smarter, or more important than other people. This is the mindset that you are better. It's an attitude that overtakes our heart and our life and destroys us. The second attitude that destroys our faith and stonewalls our faith is self-entitlement is self-entitlement. The dictionary definition of self-entitlement is the feeling or belief that you deserve to be given something, such as a special privilege. This is the attitude of I deserve more or I deserve better than what I'm receiving. And when the mindset of I am better intertwines with the attitude of I deserve more, then we find ourselves with some serious problems. Serious problems that infect our hearts and destroy our attitudes and knocks us off our faith journey. And we need to be careful with it because it destroys who we are and what God wants us to be. Several years ago, I was in Haiti on a missions journey. And while I was down there, my heart was just breaking for these kids. These kids who I would watch go and just grab um, any sort of plastic bag that they could have and just crumple them together and tie them together to create their soccer ball just so they could play in the field. And all I wanted to do was bring them home and, and just spoil them a little bit. And the missionary sat me down and said, Bill, that would be the absolute worst thing that you could ever do for them. You can't do that. Why? Because right now they don't know what they're missing out on. The truth is this, that the missionary was trying to teach me several years ago, and that is when the American culture infects our heart, it consumes us and it slowly causes our heart and our spiritual journey to decay. Why? Because we get so focused on me and what I want and what I feel I deserve rather than being satisfied with where I am at and what I already have. And we struggle with that. We live in a customer is always right society. It's just the reality of the society we live in. Uh, a little while ago, my family and I went out to eat and we sat down and there was a couple right behind us and I could not help but overhear what was going on. You see, this couple completely cleared their plates and their food was all gone. And the waitress came and brought them the bill. And as soon as the waitress brought them the bill, they said, we need to see a manager. 
And nervously, the waitress went and got the manager, and the manager came out and asked, well, what's the problem? And they said, you know, my food was just not as good as I hoped it would be. You know, it, it wasn't what I expected. I've eaten here before, and it was better before, but today was just missing something, and, and, and it was just not good. And here this lady sitting in front of an empty plate, complaining about the food that she just devoured, and said, I wasn't satisfied. And in that moment, the manager said, I'm sorry about that. We'll take it off your bill. And then there I was. Can I see a manager? <laughs> but no, seriously. We may mock that, but we struggle with that attitude, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, just about every one of us in some way struggles with that attitude of, I am always right. Even when we realize that we are wrong, I am always right and I deserve more or better. I want my way and that's what I deserve. That's the American dream. That's what it's become. And that's what infects our hearts and destroys us, not just with our attitude, but it destroys us spiritually because before you know it, you're, create, you're creating all these other issues when the reality is, the issue is your heart. It's your heart. You've allowed the society to consume you and control you and dictate your attitude rather than Jesus. I mean, let's be honest for just a moment. We make Christianity about me and what I feel I deserve. And I come to church so that the church can serve me and do what I want and what I feel I deserve. We make Christianity about how much we give. And we think, boy, I give a lot to this church financially. And so since I pay for this building and I pay for the staff salaries, then the church should just do whatever I want it to. They should meet my desires and my wants. Or we make Christianity about our particular passions and areas of service and how we feel and what we feel we bring to the table. And we think, boy, I'm a pretty talented person and I bring these gifts as a volunteer to this church. And so since I bring these talents to this church, they need me. And so since they need me, then, then they should do what I want. And before you know it, the society attitude of the American dream has consumed your heart and has dictated your journey and has stonewalled your faith. And while we try to create the reasoning for other issues, it's our hearts. It's our hearts. And at some point, we need to be honest with ourselves. That's not about me. It's not about me, and it never was about me. It's about him and what he is doing in me and what he desires to do through me in his mission because that's why I live. I don't live for me. I don't live for me. The centurion, just this man that I don't know his name amazes me. Because he was a man of high power and high authority. He could have had them do anything he wanted at his command. He owned that community. 
Yet he did not allow self-righteousness to consume his heart. Rather, we see a man full of humility. A man full of humility realizing there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than me. Let's check out the rest of the story. This is rather lengthy, verses 3 through 10. So read along as I read aloud. Luke 7, beginning in verse 3. Then the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Did you catch it? The centurion said something pretty significant in verses six and seven. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. That was humility. I once heard a story of a man who received a promotion to, of, to the position of vice president of the company that he worked for. And the promotion went exactly right to his head. And for weeks on end, he bragged to anyone and everyone that he could of now how he was the vice president of his company. His bragging came to an abrupt end when his wife was so embarrassed by his behavior and she said to him, listen, Bob, that's not a big deal. There's Bob right there. <laughs> it's not a big deal. These days, everyone is a vice president. Why, even we have a vice president of peas down at the supermarket. And somewhat deflated, Bob called the local supermarket to find out it was true. He said, can I speak to the vice president of peas, please? And they said, of which department, fresh or frozen? <laughs> the lesson to learn here is that true faith is found when we obtain the ability to move beyond arrogance and self-entitlement. That's when true faith is found. When you find the ability to move beyond yourself into something's bigger here. Something's bigger than me. And that's what happened for the centurion. He realized, I, I've a, I'm a pretty big man around these parts. But there's something bigger than me. And you know what? We need to recognize that too. You may think you're all high and mighty in the roles that you have, but there's something bigger than you. There is. And the more we allow arrogance and self-entitlement to consume our hearts, the more you will walk in a life that is frustrated. Why? Because you will never be satisfied. You will never be satisfied the more you go after you and your wants, the less satisfied you become and the more frustrated of a life you have. 
But the more you realize, like the centurion, that there's something bigger than me. It's not all about me and Bill and what I want. There's something bigger out there. When you realize that and you begin to live that, then you will find freedom. Then you will move beyond a life of frustration. Then you will find the peace that you've been searching for. The centurion said something else that's pretty significant in verse 7. He said, but say the word and my servants will be healed. He said, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion was a man under authority. And recognizing the chain of commands as a soldier, and Jesus was a man who worked in the chain of commands as well, he realized how that all works. And he knew you, in your command, in your authority, you just say the word, and it happens because of the chain of commands. But sadly, our society has become a place that often rejects authority of any kind in our lives. We have lost trust with the authority figures in this world. And, and we've been raised and groomed to believe and practice. You question every authority in your life. You doubt them. You don't believe them. You don't fully trust them. And because we have brought that into our society and we've consumed it into our life, you know what that really means, what that happened? Whether you realize it or not, We've now taken our distrust of authority, our lack of respect for authority, and we brought it to Jesus. And whether you realize it or not, your lack of trust and respect for authority is the way you view Jesus. Because now you question his commands. Now you don't trust that he will come through, even though he is a man in authority with his chain of commands. And you've lost respect for him, whether you realize it or not. All because our society has been groomed to not trust authority. And we have to be careful, my friends, because Jesus works in authority. He works in the chain of commands. And so we need to trust him. The lesson to learn here is true faith is found when we trust Jesus enough to come through. True faith is found when we trust Jesus enough to come through. But the problem is we live in a way that we don't trust him. We don't trust authority. And so since we don't trust authority... We don't trust him enough that he will come through. And when we do that, we begin to negotiate Jesus to work on our terms. Because what we're really saying is, Jesus, I want you to come through in my way and how I want it to come, how I want it to take place. This past summer, our minivan went kaput. And so my wife and I were in the journey of buying a new car. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I just like running my car till it goes kaput and then then I have to find myself in the car buying time. And there I was this summer. But I've learned when I go buy, buying cars to not give in. I negotiate and I realize, okay, I want the car I want at the price I want. And if that's not going to happen, then I have the ability to get up, say thank you, goodbye, and leave. And I will keep going around until I find 
the car I want at the price I want and how I want it. But you know, while that may be good negotiating terms for buying a car, we sadly have brought the same mindset into our relationship with Jesus. We've sat down, whether literally or not, and we said, okay, Jesus, I want my life on my terms. I want this type of house. I want good health. I want, you know, this going on around me. I want the good life. And we begin to negotiate with Jesus, and when he doesn't come through on our terms, I don't trust you, Jesus. I don't trust you enough. And we push him away, and we lose, we lose faith in his ability to lead. And the real battle in our heart is a battle between fear and trust, because what really happens on our terms is, God, I want a good life. I, in other words, I want to be protected. I don't want to have financial problems. I don't want health concerns to overwhelm me. I want my kids to grow up and to, to make good choices in life. You know, I want those things. And so since the future is so unknown, fear takes hold of our hearts and consumes our hearts and controls our hearts, which causes us to not fully trust Jesus to come through. And then we begin to trust ourselves in trying to get ahead but we need to trust him because real faith comes in the fullness of our trust with him that even if I don't know how tomorrow's going to work out, I trust you. Jesus told the centurion that he has not found such great faith as this, a faith strong enough to just say the word, to trust Jesus enough that he will come through. So let me ask you the question today. How is your ability to trust Jesus? Do you trust him to come through even when the answers are not what you want them to be? Do you trust him enough? Like this centurion, are you willing to put yourself aside and recognize the authority of who he is and trust him enough to come through? it all goes back to our attitude. It all circles around to our attitude because some of us struggle with the I deserve more and some of us struggle with the, you know, life just always works out for these people. It always goes the way they want. The grass is greener always on the other side and man, my life is just cursed. It always just goes bad for me. The answers are always wrong. But you know what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1? Look at these words. In 1 Peter 1 verse 17, he wrote, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or, or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. Do you see that? Peter said, Do not forget God, he does not play favorites at all. You know, I don't care about your, your personal status or anything else. Jesus does not play favorites. We are all equal. It doesn't matter about your race, your nationality, what position you hold in this world or whatever. We are all treated the same in the eyes of God. And we are rewarded the same and blessed the same. And Peter says that we need to live a life in reverent fear, 
in respect of his authority, in respect of who he is, that he will come through. Because get this, at the end of the verse he said, because we're doing this as foreigners in the land. That's the key phrase that we cannot neglect. Because when I negotiate my turns to Jesus, you know what my terms are always about? This world, my current life, how I want tomorrow to be a good day. And you know what Jesus' focus is? Eternity. His focus is to constantly remind us, this is not your home. This is not your home. You see, I'm preparing you for eternity. I'm not preparing you for another good day tomorrow. And that's what we long for. That's what we need to realize and trust his authority enough that he will see us through. But there's some other people in this story that we cannot overlook as we kind of bring things to a close. I just want to highlight a couple other nameless people in the story. The first are the elders of the Jews. You know, these are the people that the centurion sent to Jesus. You know, and I find this mix of people rather interesting because the Jewish people did not have a good relationship with the Roman officials. And they may have been wary of who Jesus is and what he was trying to teach. But in any case, they went to Jesus and petitioned for this man. And my question for us today is, how often do we go to Jesus for the sake of somebody else? So often we go to Jesus and say, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is how I want life to work out. But how often do we just stop and say, Jesus, right now I need to focus on these other people that are hurting. These people that need you. These people that are broken without you. You know, the lesson that we need to learn here is as followers of Jesus, we must go before Jesus for the sake of others. We must go and pray for other people and and lift them up, not just ourselves. Remember, it's not all about me. There's something bigger here. The second person that I want to highlight here is someone that we cannot neglect. And that's the servant. That's the slave of the centurion. We only know two things about this person. This person was highly valued and they were deathly ill. And sometimes there's many of us who look down on ourselves because we feel that we're meaningless. That we feel we are worth nothing. I mean, I talk about the vice presidents in the company and you're saying, I'm not the vice president. I sweep the floors. And, And we look down on ourselves like we're not good enough. But let me remind you something. First Peter, everyone is equal in the eyes of God. No one is... Um, higher or better than anybody else in the eyes of God. We all matter. So the lesson here that you need to remind yourself is you matter. You matter significantly. So much so that God sent his only son to die for you. If you were the only person in the world of all time, Jesus would come to the world to die for you. That's how much you matter to him and you matter to impact the church. No matter what your position is in life, we cannot allow our attitude to destroy our faith. Whether it's an arrogant and self-entitled attitude or a meaningless attitude, don't let Satan win the battle of your mind. It's not about us. 
There's something bigger here. The centurion said to Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word. I trust you enough. Just say the word. Do we trust him enough? Faith is a progression. Faith is a journey of growing to become more like Jesus. And here's the progression of faith that you need to realize in your spiritual journey. It starts with belief. And then belief moves to faith. And then faith moves to action. That's the journey of our spiritual life. But sadly, many American Christians are stuck in simple belief. We walk around and say, well, I believe and that's just not good enough. The Bible says in James, even the demons believe and shudder. Simple belief is not enough. Belief should lead us to faith. Faith is recognizing, God, I trust you enough even if I don't know the outcome. Even if I don't know how this journey is gonna unfold, I trust you and your authority. That's faith. But then faith leads to action. Faith leads to a lifestyle. And making choices in a lifestyle to follow Jesus is never easy in our society. Our society will make it as difficult as possible. But my friends, it does not mean that we disobey God to make it easier for our society, to make it easier for us to exist in our surroundings. God does not call us to do that. We are called to obey him, trust him enough and he will come through. And he will come through. That's living a life of faith. That's what the centurion did. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, a, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? I mean, what good is it to say, I believe in Jesus, but it's not, in reve not revealed in who you are? What good is it? What good is that? If we believe in Jesus, it should lead us towards a lifestyle of faith that's revealed in our, in our life, through our actions, through how we live. The centurion, you better believe that it was not easy for him in his, his society, in his surroundings, to call out to Jesus in faith, to live a lifestyle of faith. It was not easy. And my friends, today we live in a society that, is, that does not take the pressures off. Living for Jesus is challenging and it's demanding and it's difficult. But do you trust him enough? Do you trust him enough that when you follow him, he will come through? Because he will. If you just trust him enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for not trusting you enough. Lord, there's so many times in my life, and I probably speak for many of us here, that we just struggle in our faith. We struggle with trusting you, maybe because fear overwhelms us, or, or we get the arrogant, self-entitled attitude, or, or maybe we just don't feel good enough about ourselves, but whatever it is, we just don't trust you enough. But Lord God, we want to live a life like the centurion. We want to trust you enough that no matter what, you will come through. We want to follow your authority. We want to follow your leadership, not this world's. Father God, I pray for each person here.
wherever they are at in their faith journey. Help us all to realize what our next steps are. Help us to tear down the walls that, that often hold us back from moving forward with you. And Lord, every day may we become more and more like you. We love you and we give you all the praise. It's in your name we pray.